if your employees are not operating consistent with who you say you are in the world, mm. right, all amount of external marketing is going to come unstuck. What is up, everyone? This is Ronnie, your host of the Ronnie Asani Show. My number one goal in this show is to bring you some of the most amazing and accomplished individuals in the business world to share with you some real, raw, and authentic business insights. We sit down and talk in a casual setting, nothing too serious, yet we unpack some of the most incredible ideas, concepts, and best practices. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Oh, and don't forget to share the love. Like, share, and subscribe. Gracias, amigos. We are live. What is up, everyone? And welcome to another episode at the Ronnie Asani Show. Today, joining me is uh, Kylie Stone. Uh, thank you so much for coming in, Kylie. Thank you for having me. Um, I'll do a quick introduction. So, Kylie is a transformational consultant. Kylie spent 28 years in marketing and strategy. And um, at the moment, Kylie, or one of the things that Kylie uh, focuses on is storytelling to build brands and accelerate growth. So fascinating stuff. Um, Carly's also a, uh, a descendant of the stolen generations of the Waka Waka and Kalali nations. Um, a mom of three kids and passionate about disrupting the status quo. Big word, I love the word disrupt. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but the thing is a lot of people are using it these days. Oh, yes. So I gotta find another word. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Um, Carly is also a, uh, was one of the 2020 LinkedIn top 20 voices, which is amazing. Hopefully one day I'll get, I'll get that too. Um, and last but not least, uh, founder of the Performance Code, which is obviously um, a business that helps businesses and leaders transform, disrupt, grow, and all that uh, amazing stuff. So... Thank you so much for coming in. Mm, being thrilled, looking forward to it. Love, uh, love what you're up to. So it's uh, it's nice to be sitting here on the other side of the mic. Appreciate it. Well, we've got a lot of things that um, I'd love to talk to you about and pick your brains on. Um, I guess branding and growing a brand is, is one of the things that is definitely not easy. A lot of, whether it's a personal brand or... Um, a business brand, a lot of people worked very hard on and, and sometimes might not get the, uh, the outcomes they expect. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, and whilst we're at it, leadership, vision, purpose, uh, a lot of things that you know a lot about. So um, where do we start? Well, uh, well, firstly, thank you for the introduction. Uh, and how about we start on disruption? Let's do it. Uh, because one of the things that actually led me down this path was, uh, you know, uh, as you say, like 28 years in media and communication, specifically around marketing as a strategist. You know, I, got, I did what most people do when you go get a job, yep. which is you, you – you know, you leave school, you go do some form of study and then you get a job and then you, when you do great work, you get a promotion yep. uh, and you kind of make the climb, yep. you know, do great work and then you've got an opportunity for a promotion. And so I did that for 20 years until I got to a senior leadership position. Uh, I was in executive role in News Corp and mm. uh, <laughs> one year after being in the role, I fell pregnant uh, okay. and uh, 12 months later, fell pregnant again uh, and then 12 months later, again. 
So three in like a span of three years. Wow. So, so you know, you want to talk about disruption. You know, look, I, my yes. view is I, I don't talk about disruption as an opinion. I talk yeah. about disruption experience. as lived experience. Um, that's that's the definition of disruption. You, know, you want to know what disruption is? <laughs> Having three kids in three years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I kid you. It really was a disruption to my yeah. life and an inconvenient disruption, might I add. Yeah. Uh, I lo- loved my job. Yeah. And, um, you know, I really had to deal with what do I do because I did not want to give up my job. And at the same time, uh, you know, with three children under three and a half, uh, I just thought, you know, it, that's all great for me. Mm. But, you know, I had to start to think about the impact that, well, not that I had to, but I decided yep. it was important for me to consider the impact that would have on my family, not just my children, mm. but on my partner, on my fam- like on my extended mm. family. Um, and then what kind of long-term impact was that going to have on me physically mm. and my well-being? Yep. Um, so I did the forward thinking mm. about it, you know, like I really stopped and looked not just at the immediate short term, but what... What is this going to say about where I could end up if I don't do the thinking? Much like a strategist, right? Is it yep. a, a good strategist will sit there and look into the future mm. and start to do the thinking around, okay, how do I set up my life for what do I think is going to happen? Mm. Um, and in, and looking back, that's exactly what I did. Yep. Uh, I, you know... In, in a leadership role in certainly in News Corp at the time, and I know things have changed slightly now, but at that time, flexible work wasn't an option for mm. those of us in senior senior leadership roles. And yep. for the most part, they wanted somebody who could be there FaceTime full time. Mm. Um, I just successfully launched a completely new rebranding project and yep. um, my boss wanted someone in there full time from an operational perspective. So so I, I, I did what any good strategist does. I negotiated my role part time. I nice. split the role in half and I, I took the strategic role for uh, three days a week yeah but I just got really bored very quickly Mm. you know I lost all the parts of the job that I had loved and came to love which was the the developing the team uh, sitting in the executive meetings and making strategic decisions about the business and all of that stuff just disappeared Mm. so I was now there I was now sitting in a in an office by myself no staff no impact no relationship like just now Mm. convenience because I could rock in and you know do whatever hours I wanted but I Three, uh, three to six months in, I think it was, I, I started getting very bored and very mm. bitter. Uh, and then by six months, I was very bitter. And like, uh, what did I do? <laughs> I was exactly right. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, you know, so at that point, I just thought to myself, you know, I'd been coaching for a few years at that point, And I mm. just, you know, I was like, I knew I had to stop and take another look at how else can I can I deal mm. with this? And um, And that's when I just really started to you know, take a new look at how can I have the experience of leadership and being a leader mm. in the current structures? Yeah. You know, do we have to wait till we get a title? Do I need this kind of environment? What are the, how do I fulfill on my experience to be a leader without all of that there? And yep. that's what started the journey for me, you know, just mm. doing that. You're a disruptor at heart, whether you put yourself in, 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 circumstances that disrupt you or whether you disrupt intentionally the environment that you're in um and i you know just going back quickly to the disruption topic it, it it's it's a form of mindset um mm. it is a mindset at the end of the day it's ways of thinking it's it's an attitude it all starts with um and it kind of ties with leadership as well you know so what 
position and what long-term goals we need to we, we want to have and what are the best ways we we go about them and disruption is is a um a way that facilitates you to achieve these goals in effective ways um and so what I, when i think about disruption I, I i feel like people always refer to it as technology mm. we're coming up with this disruptive product or you know tech or but disruption is also disrupting how you go about your business and in all the other parts uh including leadership and you know and all that stuff so is there anything in disruption uh, that you like to share with people when you when you coach or when you talk with different businesses or even on a personal level um, that you feel like are key to 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 be successful w when it comes to disruption? Yes, yeah. So, firstly, something that I just want to pick up on what you said: mm. there is absolutely a difference between the, uh, an experience of disruption versus causing a disruption, mm. uh, and it does take both, absolutely. Like, really, when you talk about technology and disruption, real, I, you know, I think all we're really talking about there is people are doing new ways of doing things. Mm. You know, we're disrupting the way we're doing things. Well, it, it's actually creating something new or we're bringing something new into existence. Or, or in most organisations, actually what they're talking about is change. Yep. We're going to change the way we do things. Mm. Um, that's... You know, let's just say well, that's what's being called disruption in most mm. businesses. When it comes to leadership and actually really disrupting something, we are really, it's an intervention. Mm. It's an intervention on uh, cutting off what would be some normal way of going about things and recognising that unless you actively intervene with how it is, there is no such thing as change. Mm. And... As a human being, and I think if we play to the area of leadership, certainly for me, which is where I'm out to disrupt things, yep. we've lived for decades uh, under this hierarchical model of leadership. Now, I don't make that wrong. Mm. Uh, in fact, it's served us well to do what we've done yep. to get us to where we've got to. Yep. Um, all we're confronting now is that it served its purpose for the time that it was there and it's no longer sufficient. Yep. You know, and look, and many people would say, oh, we've got to get more women in leadership. It's because mm. there's an imbalance of women in leadership. Yeah, but even that's evolution, you know. It, mm. You know, we've gone through those periods where, uh, you know, the glorious steins of the world have stood up mm. and we've got equality and votes and mm. etc. But even if you talk about gender, you know, balance yep. of leadership as one, one yep. area, that in itself is a need for disruption because it's not about just saying it's about putting more women in leadership. What we're actually dealing with there is a very different style of leadership. Mm. You can't just stick a, a woman in an, in an organisation mm. uh, that's based on, uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it, right, mm. it's like a, some hierarchy, right? Yep. When you've got women who are more the relationship uh, connection, communication, and, and in a traditional hierarchy, those things actually do, are inconsistent or lack congruence mm. with that form. Right. It's the same with uh, Aboriginal culture, yep. you know, and this is one of the things why I'm very passionate about bringing in the distinction of our cultures in storytelling yep. because 
for decades, uh, we've never had a hierarchy in, mm. in leadership. It has always been based off community. Mm. And to have community and hierarchy in the same conversation or collaboration, like it is a real com- conflict. Yeah. So the only way, you know, look, gender balance in, we- in leadership has been status quo now for, mm. for, for years. Mm. Um, you know, I've worked closely with Qantas who have been the architects of getting more male champions of change to get more women in leadership. And even they're saying in their organisation it's, it's hit a ceiling Yep. you know, around 37% for, for decades. Um, and and the equity of women in leadership and equity in pay has been sitting around the same levels now for some time. Mm. Now, we can't keep having the same conversation about we need more women in leadership to de- mm. because that's not solving the problem. Yep. So the only way we can deal with that is to look at disruption, to say yep. there is something going on here that we are not either identifying, paying mm. attention to, confronting the truth about in order to disrupt yeah. the trajectory that it's already on. Mm. And, it, and it sounds like you're, you're approaching a bigger problem with certain um, ways of going about it, which um, granted are important, but also not taking into consideration um, other factors. So in your example, you know, you're bringing more women into the into the organization, or if it's any other thing, or any other, or if it's uh, leaders with certain types of leadership, or whatever the case may be. But is the is the culture um, are the are all the other factors that are involved and intertwined in the entire equation are they aligned or not? That's right. And, you know, you're spot on because when you look at those environments where there is a push for and a, a, you know, uh, desire for getting more women in leadership, it's not that those people don't have an intention and nor want it to happen. Mm. So one has to ask, well, what's actually at play that's not providing the environment or what's what really is the barrier, right? Mm. And culture, unfortunately, when you – you know, when you talk privately, for example, with a lot mm. of people in organisations where there's a lot of stress or tension or it's not happening, behind the scenes they're very, very quick to say it's the culture. Mm. There's a problem with the culture. And if there's the right culture, if it's not the right cultural fit, how does yep. how does that ever change anything? Yep. You know? Let's talk about culture for a bit and, and link it to disruption and change. Do you feel that culture is a lot bigger than what leaders can do and, and, and do about? So, for example, you have an organization that's maybe 20,000, 30,000 people, large enterprises. Um, the company one at, at some point was maybe 500 people or 100 people, and it's grown, and now it's this big beast. How do you go about changing culture and 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 when you when we say culture it's not necessarily changing the entire essence of the culture but it's picking on certain elements of them and saying okay how do we improve how do we how do we adjust this part a little bit and so is 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 it such is there is there a possibility for large enterprises or even medium-sized enterprises to change um are smaller organizations more because they're more agile are they easier to change and and how do you go about that yeah so firstly yes the answer is it's a lot easier when the numbers are smaller mm. right you can influence a lot more when there's 
less yep. people. Uh, as for large environments, it is definitely more complicated if you're in the game of changing it. If mm. you're in the journey of growing, uh, different different ball game because yep. you can manage that as you grow. That being said, as soon as you have large numbers in any environment to maintain culture, it it takes a lot. Mm. Um, it takes a lot when we do it the way that we've been doing it. Yep. Um, I prefer to make things as simple as possible yep. to kind of dumb it down. Someone in my who was coaching me once said, if you can t- explain something to your 11-year-old in 11 seconds, you've got it. Mm. You've nailed it. And as adults, we tend to complicate things and then we – it's the fact that we complicate it that makes it difficult. Okay, mm. so I'm going to simplify, I'm going to dumb down my answer so yeah. that we can kind of get it on the court, right? Yep. So there was a poem I read once about this boy who walks along the beach mm. and, you know, the beach is saturated with all these starfish that have washed up from the ocean. And he, as he's walking along, he's throwing the starfish back into the ocean, you know, one mm. by one. And there's millions of them on this beach, like, you know. Mm. This old guy walks down the other end of the beach. I don't know why they're both boys mm. anyway. Please don't mm. challenge me on the fact that I've now mentioned they're both boys. But anyway. I'm not challenging you. <laughs> I'm just listening. So, uh, he, so he comes along and says, what are you doing? Mm. Why are you even bothering? Because there's so many. There's no chance that you've got in actually saving them. And he picks up one of the starfish and he throws it back in. And he said, well, it made a difference to that one. Mm. And... Look, Ronnie, culture is, is in a simple frame, culture is individual behaviours, people acting consistent with certain behaviours. Mm. Now, human behaviour, when you do the research on from a neuroscience perspective, we are born into a certain way of operating as a human being in the way we communicate and how we interact, right? Mm. And if we don't, and this is again where the disruption comes in, you know, there's certain wiring we have to survive, you know, the prefrontal cortex didn't come in until many years later on the pathway mm. of the journey of human being. But in the game of survival, we're always in fight-flight. Yep. So if you want to disrupt fight-flight to get into the prefrontal cortex where you're thinking strategically, you do have to do it disrupting. That's why That's why we've got this revolution, well, this all about mindfulness and meditation. Mm. And why? Because things are moving so quickly. The only way to actually get us into that forward-thinking creative space Absolutely. is to disrupt things. Stop, stop, stop and get mm. us into that space. Mm. So it's the same with behaviours. If Now that things are moving so hard, it's very difficult for a person to be consistent with who they say they are. Mm. So let's just break chuck it down, right? So if you're in an organisation that say the, the values which contribute to culture are integrity, God forbid so many organisations have integrity and they don't actually operate with integrity, right? Mm. Therefore, the breakdown in culture. But if you broke that down from an individual's perspective – Integrity at the level of individual is always going out of existence. Mm. So if you consider that integrity is just simply doing what I say I'm going to do, how many people do you know in a company actually do not do what they say they're going to do? But see, as soon as we start operating from a general, you know, big picture, culture, it's the culture, it's the values, and they're not consistent with their values. But half the people that are actually saying, you know, it's the culture problem and people are not operating consistent with integrity are actually not operating with integrity themselves. Mm. So the only access, and the great news, is that actually the access to cultural change is at the level of individual. 
right? Because yep. if who I am as an individual is to say, right, well, instead of putting the blame out there that the company or the organisation or that team doesn't have integrity, then who am I to say that where I'm operating with integrity? Am I operating consistent with that? Because I can impact me just like the starfish. I can impact me. And if I impact me, I have more power when it comes to holding other people accountable for operating the same way. But the value and the thing that I think makes a difference from my perspective is this view uh, and very wise, mature culture that the Aboriginal culture is. Years and years and years of practice of community. They don't, there's no such thing as self. Mm. There's no you and me. Collective. There's just I am you, you Mm. are me, we are one. Mm. So hence why in our culture we don't talk about the dead Mm. because they don't die. Yeah. They're always there. There's mm. always it, it, there's no separation. Mm. And I think if if we're going to see cultural change happen, I actually think that embedding those kind of principles mm. and the practices of seeing that when I walk into a company in my job, I don't view myself as an individual. I actually view that everything I do has a direct impact on everything and everyone in my company. Mm. Then we will see large-scale change i mean i i totally agree it's it's about getting people to think okay this is not just myself i'm part of a big organization and every single action that i take has an impact on everyone else however the i feel like the the challenge lies in actually convincing people that this is what uh this is the outlook or this is the behavior or this is the mindset they, they should have when a lot of people really just care about I'm going to say their self-interest first because yes. I was an employee at some point yes. and I, I to an extent cared about the, the company that I work for, but obviously I put my interest, not to an extent that, you know, gets you to do something that's not right, mm. but at the end of the day, you, you still focus on yourself a bit more mm. and your interest a bit more. So do you think that it's, it's, um, it's something that in order for you to achieve within an organization, you need to also change structural things. For example, pay structure, incentivization um, that is more like financial or monetary oriented, or is it more an educational piece? Is it more, okay, we need to have all these different sessions and whichever way you communicate it, but at the end of the day, it's more about educational as well. Well, firstly, I would say I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm just kind of thinking Well, I, I, I say that because I, I am not the expert in human resources. Mm. So my background and contribution in this this space is not in that. Mm. Uh, so from a, from a knowledge point of view around what technically makes the difference from monetary education, learning development, etc., I don't really have any real, you know, uh, credibility in terms of knowing the answer to that mm. question. As for I sit on it, this is why I... Uh, my work is what I call leadership transformation, not leadership development. Mm. So I'm not getting in there and developing stuff. For me, it's a transformation because as a human being, uh, we we are all self-oriented. That's mm. how we're born into the world. Mm. That's never going to disappear, right? You make me feel a little bit better about myself. Oh, now. absolutely. I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, you're pretty selfish after I said that. <laughs> 
well, no. Look, transformation is being able to say, oh, yes, that is mm. who I am. And yep. I can intervene when I see it. It's like, you know, when you do, and, you know, I suppose this depends on whether you've done this or not, right? But when you really break it down, emotional awareness, uh, conscious awareness, uh, whatever mm. you want to call it, uh, is not like all of a sudden you become an enlightened human being and then you're just some, you know, mm. miracle walker. No, no, no. All that saying is, as soon as you become aware of something, you have a choice. Mm. See, when I know, like, I wake up each morning and it's all about me. Yep. Right? I wake up, I have a conversation with my daughter. It's all about mm. what I want, right? Mm. And the only time I have access to any power is when I can disrupt that yep. from just going on autopilot, because it is automatic. Yeah, yep. most of the time I'm. It's just hell. My goodness, where did that thought come from? You know. Yeah. Yep. So as human beings, I think is to validate that fundamentally we've come into this world with a level of self-interest, mm. and to transform our experience of leadership, we're simply saying, I see it, I bring an awareness to it, and I choose mm. this versus that. Yep. So let's talk a bit a bit about branding and and kind of link it also to what we just spoke about. Mm. And, and so the idea is a lot of people say business branding is for the most part dependent on um, employee branding and what employees do and what, what, how you people represent the business and whatnot. And shout out to Sean Hall. I had Sean Hall uh, on the podcast um, a couple of months ago. And, um, and so he specializes in employee experience. I'm um, not sure if you're familiar with Sean, but... And, and so his whole philosophy is customer experience is equal to employee experience. So if your employees are happy, if they're, you know, if they have, if they're highly performing, performing and if they are uh, enjoying what they do, passionate about what they do and the stars are all aligned, your customer experience is going to be at its best. And so the question I have for you before we dive into branding um, is do you agree with the notion that a company or a business branding is, or let me let me say it the other way, what how your employees represent your company is one of the biggest, if not the biggest factor on your business brand, or is what a business does outside of that realm from marketing, from all the other branding initiatives more impactful? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I'm going to go with the former. Okay. Yeah. So employees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, because here's the th here's the thing, if your employees are not operating consistent with who you say you are in the world, mm. right? All amount of external marketing is going to come unstuck. Because mm. at the end of the day, the customer has to have some interaction with your business. Yeah. So you can be, uh, and you know, look, social media is probably a really good example, right? Mm. How many people you see on social media? Right, influencers on Instagram, and you know they've got a hundred thousand followers, and they got this, and they got that, and you know as a result, you kind of go, wow, you know they're amazing, mm. and they've got great brand, and etc. And then, but in the background, the experience or what happens when somebody engages with them, and I'm not not saying this is always mm. the case, right? But it's just to kind of highlight my reasoning for my answer yep. is that. If you don't deliver on what you say you're going to deliver, and mm. let's face it, the only way that that interaction ever happens is by your experience of mm. engaging with an employee. Yep. I mean, I had a brilliant uh, experience with uh, change.org, I think it was. Um, 
I had didn't realise. I mean, their, their marketing, in my opinion, is brilliant. You yeah. know, um, I mean, they've got a great message to spread with the world, right? So there's a huge impact out there in the world with their branding and their marketing. Mm. I had failed, just like many people do. You know, you get inspired and you go, mm. "Oh, this is a really great thing." I'm yes, I'm going to agree and sign up to this thing, right? So yeah. I did that. Um, what I hadn't realised was that I'd signed up on a subscription, not a one-off thing. Okay. Right, so I sent them a note letting them know. Listen, I I've done this. I you know, and and they went far beyond my expectation, mm. far beyond. Like mm. not only oh, very quick response. The person who engaged on email, like it, you know, when you know that you can read good, generous communication in an email, you know you're doing pretty good. Mm. And this person was really a frontline employee, you know, yep. dealing with it immediately. But then not only that, it kind of must have how escalated because next minute then I get an up the line thing, apologising for mm. – and I was like, hold on, you didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I was like, I'm acknowledging that I knew I made the mistake. Yep. But they didn't care about that. They just came back and said, listen, really want to apologise mm. for that experience if there's anything we can do. And so if I, that had been the opposite – Right. Mm. If the marketing had been great and then I had an interaction where my experience was they don't care, that's mm. done for me. Yep. So in the short term, Ronnie, I, I do think in the short term, absolutely marketing for awareness and building and it's got its place and it's like that. But if you can't deliver or if your employees are not aligned with your brand values and what your promise is as a brand, mm. then at some point – Yep. That marketing is – the ROI in that marketing is not going to cut it. Look, I fully agree. And to reinforce that message, if you look at it from a statistic standpoint, um, recent studies show that 80 or 90%, somewhere from 80 to 90%, even more, in, in depending on what the industry and what the business type is. But um, let's say – let's call it 9 in 10 people will do – uh, a lot of research online looking for, <clears throat> excuse me, looking for reviews, looking for what people are saying about your brand, looking for um, all different types of feedback they can get from whether, you know, current customers or previous customers um, and what the story was and experience was with the business. Now, if nine in 10 people are on the lookout for that, what does that tell you, yeah. right? That yes, if your marketing and your acquisition efforts are fantastic and you have the best marketing team in the world that gets you um, buyers and customers and, 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 and sales through the door, at the end of the day, like you said, in the long term, this is not going to work because the experience that you are giving your customers is not matching with what you're saying and people catch on to it absolutely now can we go into a disruption conversation let's go for on it. this topic yeah so here's my prediction or here's mm -hmm. the thing that i think we have an opportunity with right is actually having marketing people accountable for employee experience see when i left news corp i'll give you an example mm. when i was in my last role at news corp uh you know it was 20 so it was 2010 at the time it uh we were in the peak of digital disruption, mm. right? That's yep. what we called it, digital disruption. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was accountable for the community me 
media side of the business, yep. so building communities. And in one respect, people would say print's de- you know, print was dead, we shut down, so $41 million worth of assets they had to strip out of the business. Right. Okay. Um, you know, News Corp had been built over merger and acquisitions for, for, for decades. Mm. And so 19 divisions, 19 management structures, multiple brands, you know, the brands that we were working, so $200 million worth of assets sitting yep. in this accountability with, I think we had 19 mastheads also. Um, and so mar- as for a marketing budget, minuscule. Mm. You know, we're talking a $2 million asset and we had something like a $2 million budget. And you're like, really? Mm. So we had to be- find very innovative ways to impact growth, right. right? So one of the things I did, and I have to say, it took me three years to get this over the line, to get this yeah. project. Mm. But I, I went in, pitched for a rebrand of the individual mastheads to go with a single brand across all community papers, which is incredibly... Uh, difficult considering the relationship of the local products, like the Manly Daily, for example, mm. you just pick a local market, or the Wentworth Courier in the Eastern Summers. I mean, we're the North Shore Times, or you know, MacArthur Chronicle out in Campbelltown. We had individual local brands that were well embedded into the community. So mm. it was like, really, you want to kind of scrap that out and go for a big brand, you know, mm. across all products? Anyway, three years, got it over the line. Uh, when it came to doing the launch, mm. I didn't have to spend a dollar. Mm. Because I didn't focus on external marketing. Mm. I actually went through every employee of the business. Like we went through a brand values conversation with every single employee of the yep. business. You know, re- we ran workshops with all the editors who were accountable for the product development and the content of the product, where their relationships are, the salespeople have relationships. And we mm. went out and actually ensured that every single employee was aligned with the brand, the vision, the values, and they got the value such that they were consistent. Mm. Now, when we did that, you, I was shocked. Like, I actually have to say, given the time, you know, there was no, you know, incremental growth from a revenue point of view. But pr- quite frankly, Rani, back then, growth was predominantly off cuts, mm. cutting out costs in the business. It wasn't from real growth, right? Yep. Which is what a lot of businesses in these days are facing. Mm-hmm. But we had a 23% uplift and increment an 8% incremental growth in revenue in a time where there was we were going the business was going really, you know, in real yep. terms was going backwards. Not a single dollar spent on external marketing. So, but who was accountable for that? The marketing people. Mm. Why? Because marketing is about the brand's values and the experience. So all we did was put our attention on the employees and embedding that with the employees, mm. which had a massive impact on their, you know, on how they interacted with the community and their conversations and their passion in the market for the product. And, mm. you know, it was, we didn't predict it. Like we kind of really didn't, yeah. you know, we didn't really know. Really the intention was do that so that we can mm. actually shift the experience of the brand in the market. But... Right. You know, great outcome. So I'm an advocate of, I mean, even now as marketers, you know, like the average tenure of a CMO is 22 months apparently, (laughs) Um, which if you're actually dealing strategically at a high level in a business, how is that ever long enough to implement anything when a decent strategy is three to five years, right? So CMOs are incredibly challenged. And at the same time, you know, human resources is getting thrown up in a spin. And I'm like, well, I wonder if the future for marketing really is because as even startups, like in the entrepreneurs game, there is a huge uh, uh, human resource people and marketing. They're all coming together, mm. and I so I'm like, I just you know from an organisational disruption, I'm like, 
is there a role there that marketing can actually play in being able because learning and development budgets let's look look at that right mm. learning and development budgets are, are not huge right but oh i wonder if one could use the internal marketing yep. resources that and a lot of businesses have a lot of you know resourcing capability in the area of marketing what if they actually took that and embedded that around the employee mm. part of an employee experience yep amazing i i want to go into a controversial topic great because i love controversy sure. <laughs> no just Bring kidding. It um and it, it's a little bit off topic but it's it has been a hot topic over the last few weeks maybe months and since you spent many, many years in the media and oh, the here we go. Space, you know what I'm, you know where I'm <laughs> no, going? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, I'm starting to get scared now. <laughs> Look, I, I know, I, I don't think, personally, I don't think there's right and wrong, right or wrong to a lot of what's going on uh, generally in the world and, and what's happening uh, in particular with how a lot of things have been handled um, in you know with things like COVID or whatever but mm -hmm. uh this is not about that it's mm -hmm. about the dispute that's been happening between the australian government mm -hmm. and google and facebook mm -hmm. so um i'm not sure if you've heard or like dived into it a little bit um but it's basically around the the publishing mm. um uh, compensation um and obviously with giants tech giants like google and facebook uh for if, if for anyone who's watching uh who's not from australia um basically the, the whole and, and correct me if i'm wrong because you probably know a little bit more about that but basically um the news companies and publishers in australia um have have seen decline in revenue over the last um maybe 10 years or so and it's predominantly because the shift that's happening in the digital media. And so the Australian government is saying, okay, look, um, we've, we've got to share this revenue somehow. And they're pushing back and saying, sorry. So I don't know why I'm asking you this now, but it kind of popped in my head and I'd sure. love to get your thoughts onto it. And then we'll, we'll go back into uh, our series. Well... Firstly, I'm just going to speak to being consistent with my values, and one of my core values is uh, being authentic. Uh, and I, God, don't even get me on start on that conversation about that that word in itself because I think it's mis misunderstood. Yep. But my 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 view of that for myself is to tell the truth mm. about about where I sit on it. Right. Mm. So, firstly, I just want to acknowledge that I I again am not the educated person on that matter. Okay. I, I, I've heard about it. Mm. I've, you know, read about a bit. It asked a few of my, you know, so I'm a consultant with Trinity P through who are, you know, very senior marketing management consultants. So, you know, we bought, we had a conference last week and this did yep. come up. And in mm. fact, they're starting a uh, coffees and cocktails thing on, on this new clubhouse thing, which I just oh, heard yeah. about, right? Have you joined? Um, uh, yes, I have. I got, I've got <laughs> sent an invite and I just, oh my God. I was like, oh God, here we go. Yet another platform. Anyway, I kind of went, you know yeah. what? I got to, you know, at, at once I really, once I said yes, I started to get the opportunity of it, right? Which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but they've gone ahead and set up actually just this company week a coffee and cocktails and the very first their conversation they're going to talk about is this issue around mm. google and facebook with yep. media right so um i'm actually interested in getting in that just to kind of for myself get a 
better understanding. So mm. I just want to be really straight that yep. right at this point in time, I don't have probably an educated opinion about it. Mm. From from where I sit, though, from my experience, which is what I'll, I'll share from, you know, 17 years in News Corp, right? So I really mm. was there for the heyday um, and then went through periods where we bought in digital media. And, and yes, revenues are declining. Mm. And, um, you know, and I... Firstly, I will say, I do think we were way behind the eight ball. You know, like I think taking for granted our position in the market, I think is the problem from mm. those media organisations. So yep. um, being behind the eight ball meant that revenues were going to decline unless they could do something about that. Mm. On the matter of uh, the Google Facebook, my understanding is that they're capitalising, uh, and, and again, oh God, you know, just yep. my interpretation, my experience, is that they're generating revenue off, uh, you know, like a lot of the content that comes out of traditional news companies, yep. um, whether it's News Corp or Fairfax or, you know, whoever it is. A lot of people share content about that. You know, that gets mm. streamed out on social media, which you really do want it to happen because if it's good news, you do want to get that news, mm. right? So yep. that you want them to use the so- social media yep. platforms. My understanding is the reason this has happened is because – Google and Facebook are able to capitalise by increasing revenue off off the, you know, the audit size of audience and mm. viewing and all that stuff. Um, and so, th- I think you know, does that mean they're benefiting and getting revenue off their content? And as a result, is that are they not capitalising on the content? So, uh, so I my understanding of the problem, and for anyone watching, if we're not getting this right, please don't throw us with <laughs> with anything. Um, we so all have an opinion. Yeah. So my understanding is this. Um, Google and Facebook as, let's face it, they're media companies in a way, right? Um, they, the model is completely different. The model is we're going to show people and share with people free content because they monetize by through ads, right? So Facebook is trying to allow everyone, businesses and people, to share content, interact around content and share it with the world. Google goes and, you know, crawls and finds out all the different websites out there and helps users who are searching for something find that content whether it's news or anything else or how to you know clip my nails whatever right (laughs) and and so the news companies in australia and i'm sure in many parts of the world their model is completely different they have access to news and information that is that is new and uh, not widely available. Um, and, and so they're trying to find things that you need to know about, but in exchange for sharing the information, you pay. So a lot of the, even the sites, um, the, 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 the digital media for, for these companies, you've got to subscribe to, to get access to the content. And so there's a conflict in the business model. Mm. And going back to disruption, mm. Part of the problem, in my opinion, is there has been disruption over the last 20 years in in how content is created and shared. Mm. But it's sort of, you know, for for some businesses, they they never went on that same sort of disruption journey, if you will. Mm. And and now it's it's become a, a major problem. And so... Whether whether the approach from uh, the policymakers or the regulators is right or wrong, it, it demonstrates that disruption is is there and 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 creates 
massive opportunities for bus- some businesses and a downside for other businesses. Absolutely. And I think if we have a complaint about that, I mean, where, where does it go to from there? If we're going to say, oh, well, Google and Facebook can't publish out news content because they're capitalising on making money off it. I mean, they're, they're, they're quite smart. I mean, really, their entire mm. business model is based on that, you know. what are we? Where do we go next? I'll mm. stop putting your – I mean, how many people run their businesses off mm. Facebook? What are they going to do? Go up in arms and say, oh, well, you know, now we're going to stop all small businesses from creating Facebook groups on Facebook because actually that's bringing more people to the site, that's increasing traffic and, and they still are kept able to advertise off the fact that they've got a certain amount of reach. I mean, where does one go with that? Yep. I do think there's two very separate pieces going on here. Mm. There's like, that's a business model that clearly, you know, works, right? You're not going to stop people engaging in a content and distributing content mm. and they're not going to stop, you know, earning yep. advertising revenue. I think it's a separate issue when you're talking about the problem that traditional media houses have mm. called news content sites mm. where they've got to search for a new solution in order mm. to grow revenue. Yeah. I'm not sure jumping in here and trying to change their model, I, that that's about as good yep. as I get on that. Yeah, and, and just to close this point, from a nationalistic standpoint, some people are approaching it, and certainly the government is, is that this is a foreign entity who's benefiting from local information and news and content whereas the 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 little guys the businesses that are local are being crushed and and so that's the other side to the equation or the coin anyway um i I just thought it's a can of worms really isn't it it, it there's no answer yet yet (laughs) um and so okay so we go back to our more, uh, more interesting topic which is um all things branding and leadership and transformation and so we covered a fair bit and i was i was thinking maybe we can touch on mental resilience because that's one of the things that you are also passionate about if i'm not wrong yes and um uh, do you also coach in that space or is it just okay cool so i'm certified so i'm certified in the neuroscience of resilience yep um what does that mean well uh actually if you look at the research on the uh, neuroscience of resilience is a direct correlation between resilience and performance. Mm. So um, there is uh, about 12 months, I mean, I've been a lover of neuroscience mm. for a long time. You know, I've been facilitating transformation, personal transformation for close to 20 years. Um, and my I started in my career as a researcher, right? So old school data scientists, we didn't call them data scientists back there, we just call ourselves mm. researchers. But yep. um, so I've always had a love of research and human behavior and that, you know, it was kind of my area that I excelled in in university. And so when I got into the area of um, performance and personal development, I, I had a passion, a real love for understanding the, the science behind mm. human behaviour. Um, so, the, but what happened about two years ago, when I went on this journey to discover mm. for myself the experience of leadership outside the, cu- the current kind of hierarchical model, um, about three years in, uh, I had a breakdown. Mm. Um, I uh, was doing what most of us do, which is just work, work, work to really death. hard. Work yourself to death. Oh, yeah, work yourself to death. I was, mm. you know, I'd spent two weeks in the States on a training program. Mm. Uh, when I came back, I had failed to organise childcare for my kids. Mm. Um, so I <laughs> came back and then spent two weeks up on the Gold Coast, took them up there to visit my mother. Mm. Um you know, with three kids solo, because my husband was still in Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, thinking, oh, it'll be fine because, you know, it's a change of thing. You know, it's yep. not working in the business, it's just with the kids. And then um, from that, I went, I flew back into Sydney and um, then flew immediately back out over to Perth yep. and was facilitating over in Perth for three days. 
I was on the plane on the way back. Well, I'll never forget it. Uh, I, it was a t- Tuesday or Wednesday morning. It was a Wednesday morning. I was due to fly out, having a glass of wine in the lounge, mm. and got on the plane and we started watching a Nicholas Sparks film, which if you don't know who Nicholas Sparks is, he did The Notebook, right? Soppy, yep. soppy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching The Longest Ride, and I am in the plane bawling my eyes out. <laughs> what have I done? I've complicated uh, my life. I need to simplify. It's, it's I'm all a mess. Yeah. Uh, triggered. By the fact that I'd received a phone call while I was away facilitating that my husband couldn't find my son um, because I had failed to do the transition of a new au pair Mm. and the new au pair started. She didn't speak very good English and she was supposed to pick one of the kids up and didn't and he didn't know where he was. So, of course, there I am on the other side of the country going, what the, you know, and and what I didn't notice at the time was that my internal reaction to that had been that I should have been there, I should have done something about it Mm. and, and of course, it didn't. And so then when I'm sitting on the plane, it was just, you know, it's a romantic film and it's, you know, and I thought, oh, God. And I spent four days after that in bed in a crisis like just I whatever I went down a hole I was like I I can't do this anymore and I could not get stuck out of that mental I can't do this anymore what was going through your mind was it like I failed myself I failed people what have I done or was it more like how do I get out of this was it a mix of different thoughts or uh two things in particular one is it wasn't I have failed it's I'm a failure Wow. Okay. Yeah, so that it was, was de- like you it were was very deeper. harsh on yourself. Oh, very, very hard on myself. Okay. Very hard, and I should have been there. Um, and then the last part was because I couldn't see the solution. Mm. I was. I can't. I can't. I don't. I can't do this. I can't. I can't. I don't know how to do this. I can't I don't do see this. A way out. No. Wow. No. So. Um, Long story short, right, four days. And even my husband came in one day. Like I had like, buried myself under the doona. Mm. Like, really? Oh, I was <laughs> all, honestly awful. So upset. Um, because at the time, I didn't have clarity over what was happening, in, yeah, you know, with those thoughts, right? I was just stuck. And he comes in and he's got to a point where he says, you just need to get over yourself. Just stop this, will you? I'm like, no, you don't understand. Anyway, so listen, long story short, after three months, I so I – Bizarrely enough, was flicking through Facebook, right? right yeah. <laughs> it was the one thing to get, you know, it's like, oh, who cares? Flick through so fast. Mm. I saw an article about um, the impact of depression um, and postnatal depression and what happens on the body if you don't get the proper treatment. Mm. So this was um, uh, my daughter, actually, I can't remember the timeline, but when 2009, after I had my daughter, they diagnosed me with postnatal depression. I, you know, New to that, they put me on medication and said, you know, your options are medication and, uh, you know, seeing a psychiatrist. And so I was <laughs> I was like, give me everything, mm. you know, none the wiser about the impact or the, you know, the source of the breakdown, right? Yep. But at this stage, I did, right? So I went, I, I, I read this thing about if you've had depression before, what happens from a government point of view, if you've gone on the register for depression, immediately after seeing a doctor, you have to go back onto medication to deal really? with depression. Yeah, because you're at risk. Can, uh, I'm not. I'm not quite knowledgeable in that area from, um, I guess, policy standpoint. But 
what, what was the official title of the person that diagnosed you? Was it was that a psychologist, psychiatrist, or no GP? Oh, so, a G, how does GP? So, what happens is when you first go. So, the the first time when I got diagnosed with postnatal depression, okay. I'd had an appointment with my doctor, and he said, to, "This is eight weeks after my daughter was born," mm. and he said to me, "He said you don't look so well," right. and I uh, yeah, I was tired. I mean, I'd had it you know, as you remember, right? Yep. Three kids in three years. Course, so yep. this is the second one, and I'd had an eighteen month year old mm. at the same time. So I was just what I can see now all that was actually really going on was I was sleep deprived you were you drained I was yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. I was drained right but he says you don't look so well we should test you for so there's a well-being index test that they do for you when things like that show up mm. it's uh, stress anxiety and depression I think it's mm. SAD or the other way DAS score or something yep. or other so they do this survey with you and you do you fill it all out and then you get a score and you get a score for your stress anxiety yep. and depression mm. Let's just say I was off the Richter on all three, right? So yep. I was high on all of it. Mm. So then from there, he, they diagnose, you know, depression. That's a depression ranking. So, you know, um, mm. you know you've just had a child, therefore postnatal depression. Mm. That really, that was as, as simple as it got. Mm. So he said your options are you can go on medication or, or, or you can see a psychiatrist or you can do both. Now, I felt like crap. So I was just like, mm. well, just tick all the above, please. So... <laughs> I'm laughing. I shouldn't be, but well, no, I can laugh at it myself, yeah. right? But you know, that tells you a lot about my natural yeah. approach to stuff, right? right? Yeah, give me the whole lot. Yeah. So I did that, but I what I discovered. So fast forward when this was happening about the stress, mm. you know, I was overworking myself, and if I look, my diet wasn't great for mm. for what I was doing. Yeah, high performance, like high performance, traveling the world, facilitating mm. large-scale transformation programs, still working part-time at News Corp and had three children. Mm. You know, anyone really with any right mind, <laughs> well, it's like, it's like, you know, not until I actually, so I wasn't exercising like I knew to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have a drink of wine and which would have occasionally turn into a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I had no, uh, you know, I didn't really understand from a, a nutritional point of view mm. the 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 breakdown of micronutrients, macronutrients. Like I know carbs, fats, proteins, and the yep. basics of health, and I know it's not healthy yep. to eat certain yep. processed foods and mm. blah blah blah, right? Mm. But going to the going to a restaurant and eating a bowl of pasta, or you know, not present to really the impact that that's going to have. So when you add all of that stuff up, mm. it was no wonder I was on that plane having a right. a breakdown. My yep. body, I was not really taking care of my body. Yep. So when it happened this time, I said. I went to the doctor after seeing the thing on Facebook about how a depression mm. can come back if your diet's not right. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm not doing mm. the right thing. So I went back to the doctor and what did he say? Well, you've been registered for depression before, so we're going to have to recommend that you go on medication. Mm. And I said, listen, I'll do it for three months. Mm-hmm. I said, but at the same time, I want more answers mm. because I am not going down that path again because yep. I knew at this point that actually what was really going on back there with my daughter was that I was sleep deprived. Mm. So I spent three months, I went to see a kinesiologist, I was having acupuncture, uh, you know, an integrative physician basically, Mm. and worked on combination of my diet and movement. And that was when I realised actually the... uh, all of those things were influencing my uh, my entire world, really, my mental state, really. You know, they're all I did all this research about mind-body connection and the mm. garden. And so what happened was three months in after doing all that work, got the results of a blood test, I got had an autoimmune condition. Mm. So actually the source of the depression 
was the autoimmune. So that one of the symptoms of or having an autoimmune condition, so it's Hashimoto's, I have a thyroid problem. Yep. So one of the condition, symptoms of that is depression. Yep. So it's not that I have depression. No, yep. no, no. I have an autoimmune condition because yep. I'm not taking care of my diet, my nutrition and yep. my body. And one of the symptoms of that is depression. Yep. Completely altered my perspective about yep. the brain, my mental clarity and resilience. That's what got me into this kind of curiosity about the brain mm. and the gut. And I had discovered this um, diagnostic and certification on neuroscience, and I started applying it on myself. Got breakthrough results, you know, for oh. myself. Mm. Um, but it was all mental resilience. But the yep. the the thing that was fascinating is the six domains that do it. You know, which include things like vision. You know, if you've got a clear vision and purpose, then it includes health. And this mm. was the breakthrough in this in this aspect of it was up until, you know, five years ago with this research this guy had done, every aspect of resilience was not in the area of health. Mm. It was more in the areas of, you know, uh, motivation, uh, mental preparedness, decision making, you know, all these other factors. It didn't include the physical side of health. Yep. And when I saw that this actually had the physical aspect of health in this, you know, mm. your nutrition and your sleep, yep. sleep, nutrition and movement, I just, I went, right, I, I've got to in- integrate this into the work that I'm doing because if it's helped me impact my performance and my ability to experience my success as a leader, yep. then clearly it could affect others. And that's exactly what happened. Like I, I started working with people on their well-being namely resilience mm. and health and things like that and unbelievable amount of you know transformation in people's experience of their performance and accelerating growth yep. because they then finally had mental clarity mm. and you know the operating in the prefrontal cortex versus being in fight and flight and if you can get yourself out of fight and flight like that like yeah unbelievable results you touched on so many important parts of you know resilience and and and, and mental health and performance and for me, at least, one of the areas that I, I never paid attention to, I'd say almost for all my life, is is diet. You know, I, I love food. It might not show me that much, but I, I <laughs> eat a lot. And I love, I love you know, just indulging in, in, in different cuisines all the time. And I, I found out through research and reading over the last couple of years that, you know, you might, you might be eating healthy. You might be eating healthy foods. Uh, no process, none of that stuff, staying away from all the bad stuff, but you you still end up eating things that your body doesn't agree with. Mm. And I'm not talking about allergies that show like your skin or something happens, like you have to be rushed to the hospital. There's types of allergies, or maybe you call them something else, but a reaction that your body produces in response to what you ate that just makes you feel down or you know depressed or all that stuff and and it's and it's just that you're not eating what you should be eating um your body's chemistry your body's biology and you know food is chemistry and some some chemicals don't agree with each other and the the end result is you're not at your best and so diet is super important i'm not an expert <laughs> in diet at all. well neither am i but that ki- is just my personal experience <laughs> Uh, but but just, I give you one very specific example, right? Mm. I thought I was being really healthy, eating green juices with avocados and kale. 
Yeah. Avocados are high in antihistamines. Mm. So despite going on a ketogenic diet, which I'm a massive fan of because of its impact in brain performance, at some point I was having a lot of allergies with my nose, wow. you know, sinus-related stuff. And uh, I had to take – no, I'm allowed to go back on them now because I can reintroduce mm. it once my body's stabilised. But um, I went and saw a naturopath and she said, um, you're going to have to stop eating avocados. And we What? Since when are avocados not healthy? Because they you know, my oh my goodness, neither could I. Because you add those into a smoothie and it's delicious, right? But yeah. but they were high, they're high in histamine. So I had and miraculous one week off the avocado, all the sinus related mm. stuff stopped. Now, wow. luck, lucky I can get back into it. But kale's another one. I was like, oh my goodness, you know. So things that you don't know until so you until you start getting very uh, putting your attention. Mm on optimising health as a function of your ability to impact performance and you'd start to trial and experiment and there is no one-size-fits-all approach because, mm. like you say, our chemistry when it comes to food is very unique. And sleep. Sleep is, is, is another one that I personally uh, also came to the conclusion Don't get that... Off of. <laughs> But, but, you know, and there's, there's a book, I'm not sure if you've uh, come across it or not, if you've read it or not, um, called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Um, I've seen the TED Talk. Have you He's seen the it? Matt Walker TED Talk, right? Um, he, 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 I think he did a talk, but I watched him on the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh. And I, I went through half of the book. It was very dense, but I, I, I went online, went on YouTube and, and, and watched uh, a lot of his content. And so I, I got a good idea of what he's... Um, so he spent about 15, maybe more, uh, he's doing sleep studies. And so he, he, he nailed everything. And, you know, and he breaks down a lot of interesting things that you, you wouldn't even ha- have heard about uh, when it comes to sleep. But the, um, the conclusion is sleep is so important. And there's a lot of these messages out there, you know, for entrepreneurs and business leaders. Oh, you know, you hear about, you know, people saying, oh, I only get four hours of sleep oh, or, no. I, I, you know, I get five hours of sleep. Or if, you know, Elon Musk um, got away with uh, only getting a, an hour to sleep and, you know, look where he is, I can do it too. And, you know, that, that, that type of message out there, I personally don't um, agree with. And I've just come to the conclusion that I need to get, I need to make sure I get the hours I need um, and, and also find the, the right time because our circadian rhythm is not all the same. And you might, you might, you know, clock off around 10 and I clock off around midnight and it, and it works for me and maybe it doesn't. So, so that's also another aspect there's a lot of, um, things around that too. So optimizing sleep is absolutely important for mental resilience. I have to agree with that. Uh, we're running out of time. I, I wish we had another hour. Cause Can I, feel I like say one thing yeah, about that? Uh, to wrap that up in, and actually draw it back to branding. Yep. So one of the reasons, because like, one has to wonder, well, what does mental resilience have to do with branding, right? Yep. So my view is that branding today is, if you actually look at what makes a great brand and the design of great branding, mm. it is actually the, the same as leadership. What makes mm. great leadership is, you know, I've done a lot of interviews with leaders and it comes down to the same kind of things. Having a vision and the values and the alignment of purpose purpose and their passion and who they serve in the world and then the results are simply then being consistent with who you say you are so it's exactly the same in branding as it is in leadership Mm. 
why it then today that mental resilience is so important is because if you're to act consistent with who you say you are, mm. like you, you, you say that I'm a compassionate leader and I'm going to operate big in the world, to be able to operate consistent with that, mental resilience is required. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and what a way to, to end the, the episode. Thank you so much. Thank and you. Uh, one last thing, if anyone watching or listening would love to learn more about what you do and um, potentially want to work with Performance Code, uh, what's the best way for people to reach you? LinkedIn. Fantastic. Carly Stone and LinkedIn. I guess the only Carly Stone and LinkedIn? Oh, I think so. Okay, cool. Well, LinkedIn top 20 voices. It's pretty clear when you get that yep. one. <laughs> so I've got to support my advocates. You know, Absolutely. let's I think it, let's make it easier for people. You can go there. That's one one-stop shop. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Carly, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much.